Welcome to the Sacred Ancestry Podcast, a show about discovering the true human potential. Let's dive deep into physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual health. I'm your host, Thomas Worm. Who are you not being, and what are you not doing in life? Discover the person you know you could be at mountainmindtricks.com. What if you become the person you know you could be? What would happen if you only had positive thoughts and feelings about your future? What would happen if you didn't have negative emotions or limiting beliefs? Mountain Mind Tricks is specialized in eight-hour sessions that release anger, sadness, fear, hurt, guilt, and anxiety forever. Get 30 years of therapy in eight hours. All you have to do is go to mountainmindtricks.com, click the discovery session button, schedule a time, and fill out the form. Go to mountainmindtricks.com. I discovered this new technology recently. Check out mountainmindtricks.com slash EMF protection. Essential Vibes has this resonant frequency wristband, which stops EMFs from stressing your body. Because that stress is removed, people are seeing dramatic improvements in pain management, strength, mental clarity, memory, sleep, and a bunch of other things. Go to mountainmindtricks.com slash EMF protection and check it out. You know, the first time I saw this, I totally thought it was a scam. You know, but then I put it on, and I was able to test my strength and balance and see that it improved significantly. Even my sleep has changed. I was so impressed with this, I had to add this to my business. So go to mountainmindtricks.com slash EMF protection. I'm so excited today for an amazing guest, Krishna Bhatta, and he has a book called Journey from Life to Life, and he's all about intermittent silence, conserving energy, creating energy, and sharing energy. He also has a meditation app, and Krishna, could you introduce yourself and um, just tell the audience how you got here, what you're doing, and and what you're all about now? So, Tom, uh, I am a actually a urologist, which is a, a branch of medicine most people are familiar with. But I have had a lot of interest in <coughs> meditation from very early in my life. And uh, when I was in medical school, I used to spend a lot of time uh, meditating. So my life is, you know, I have spent as much time with meditation as much with medicine. And I've kind of uh, been exposed to a lot of uh, gurus and saints in the field of meditation and spirituality, similar to my exposure in medicine. So all that I thought I should share, and uh, that's why I wrote the book, which is based a lot on my experience. And the stories that I heard from patients. And I say my patients inspire me. And my colleagues inspire me. Life, you can find energy anywhere you want. And it's better to be receiving energy rather than draining energy in life uh, by being upset or being always thinking that somebody is out to get you. So that's my general attitude to life. That's where I am. Uh, Currently, I'm chief of urology at uh, a good-sized community hospital called Eastern Main Medical Center in Bangor, Maine. And uh, that's my short description. Wow, so amazing. And, And what is, tell us more about the book that you wrote. So the book, uh, there are some stories behind uh, the book, and it's uh, one of the stories in the book as well. But uh, in India, if you grow up, the topic of uh, past life or next life comes up in, you know, everywhere in the village, in the town, in the cities, at least when I was growing up. And uh, but then I come to USA or or to the West, 
And nobody even thinks about it. It's not even in the thought process, let alone be a conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's not very common here. No, it's not common. And uh, uh, we pay a lot of attention in uh, the current life. And we sometimes prepare for uh, what happens when we die. We will have a insurance or something to pay for how we get buried or how we get burnt or, you know, whatever we do, how to dispose our body. But we don't think anything beyond that. I had a, I had done a surgery on a patient who was in his late 80s and uh, he did well. He went home. Then he came back after a few months. He was sick and had some infection and he was really doing poorly. And one day he called me and asked me to sit down. I sat down beside him. He looked me in the eyes. I can still remember his expressions and, you know, his um, looking at me. And he said, I want to go now. And that's not an usual conversation you hear or have with patients. And um, in those days, we could touch each other, you know, not like the COVID times now. And I didn't say much. I said, no, you don't have to. We can try to fix what, uh, what your problem is. And he simply said, I want to go. Few days later, to a couple of days later, he was gone. But at that moment, it struck me: Does he know where he is going, or do I know where he is going? And that was one of the uh, many encounters that helped me, or that kind of moved me into writing the book "Journey from Life to Life." And uh, the book talks about this life because you have to have a good successful life and then plan for whatever happens next and uh, the question is can we plan for something beyond our life or if there is another life can we plan for how we come back can we influence that while we are now here you know, living our life so that was the moving factor thomas Wow, that is such a such a uh, heartfelt story of, you know, I can only imagine having patients tell you that, that I'm, I'm ready to go now. And in that moment of uh, that decision, you know, I think sometimes I'm not necessarily in the medical field, uh, but uh, it seems like people make a choice. Sometimes they choose that I am ready to go now. And that's so interesting. And, and for me, you know, the work I do in timeline therapy and the breakthrough sessions through my personal breakthrough session, I had so much past life stuff to clear out and to work with and to release trauma from that. And when I did, it was, I felt like I released so much trauma from past lives. I don't even know if that was possible until it happened to me. And, uh, I, I'm a hundred percent believer personally in past lives, future lives, reincarnation. And, uh, I really love Michael Newton's work with his, you know, life between lives and all those descriptions. So I'm curious on what your kind of thoughts are on, on past or future lives. Past life. Yeah. It's good to know. I mean, if possible, I mean, to get into the past life, and there are methodologies uh, described out there. I, I'm not sure what methodology you followed, but I am more interested in the future, of course, because past life, you have to start uh, living an orientation of yesterday. Normally, we are future-oriented, so it's easier to think about future. If you want to get into the past life, you to start thinking of what happened yesterday, what happened day before, what happened. And you do focused meditation towards that. And then move, try to move through your birth, birthing process, you know, backwards into the past life. And there is one story that I heard about, which was interesting. 
uh, about somebody going into their past life and she was a kind of a person who was celibate in this life. Think of a nun or think of uh, somebody who's, uh, who doesn't want to get married, you know, devotes the time to God. And doesn't matter which religion you are, <clears throat> you are spending your time totally in that field. And she wanted to know what I was in the past life. And she went through the whole process and then suddenly she was in a shock because in past life she was a prostitute. And uh, when the past life memory comes, it doesn't come like it was a different, it doesn't, uh, there is no break, it becomes a continuity. And that really, um, I think uh, you can imagine how much, uh, like the values today she had was completely different than the values she had in her past life. And as you said, you had to burn out uh, so many things from your past life to where you are right now. So you probably will relate more to this story than I can, because for me, it's just a story. For you, it seems like you have done something to feel the past life. Absolutely. Yeah. And that, that is a, a common theme with the, the timeline therapy is, you know, we'll ask, is the trauma before your birth, during your birth or after your birth? And it's, it's so interesting. You know, some people have trauma in past life or even genealogical or during their birth. And uh, it comes up occasionally and you know, in the field that I studied in NLP, is it is it real? You know, it doesn't really matter. It's maybe it's just the mind, you know, organizing things in a way that makes it seem like it's past life, and that's okay too. Um, but the key was, you know, for me and my clients uh, is releasing the trauma, and uh, and yeah, I love the way how you're focusing on the future, and and you know that's something we do as well in the NLP is we'll put people's goals into their future. And it's really important to have those, those future goals, the, the aspirations, the inspiration to, to have a successful life like you're talking about. No, it is interesting. I think uh, it's no, not so much just curiosity. I think it can be, something that you can uplift your life this life you can um, figure out how to find you know how to channel yourself or how to position yourself for a better journey um, between the when you kind of when we leave this body and the time you acquire another body uh, and how the journey could be Many times, uh, Thomas, we feel that our world, which is the universe we see or travel, is huge. It's really, I mean, there is no end. We haven't reached the end of the universe. There is all these planets and there's other solar systems. I mean, this is just uh, uh, beyond what we can imagine. But when we, it comes to the other world, like when we die and when we go, whether we come back or not, whether you believe in reincarnation or not, you do believe that we die and we all die and go somewhere. That world, we try to limit it to a small, um, kind of just heaven and hell or something that we imagine just there is only two places or one place or or a smaller place. Whereas the people who are spiritual people who knew more about this world and the other world, both, they always call this one as a Maya or, or something like illusion. Or So the real world is the other one. This one is just, we come here for a hundred years, but we probably spend longer time in another um, universe. Some people call it parallel universe. And why should it be smaller? 
Yeah, so interesting. You know, <laughs> why why is the other side smaller? It's uh, you know, for me, I I I guess to me the other side seems like uh, from. I did have a near-death experience as a younger person, and I I feel like there is a oneness, and that's really synonymous with a lot of the Buddhist teachings and the Taoism and the Vedic teachings of this oneness in the universe. And maybe that's why it seems smaller because there's just one, Um, but there's so many infinite possibilities too, right? Right. Um, It's it's interesting you said a near-death experience. I mean that comes closest to thinking about how or what could be um, the other side. Yeah, absolutely. And and that was a life-changing event for me going. Um, it was a, a non-eventful. There was no lights. There was no nothing. It was just blackness. And I think because I was in such a dark place in my life that that's all I was going to go to. But now that I've done a lot more work and uh, a lot of meditation and I'm a lot more open to what the universe could be, you know, in meditations, I've seen the other world. I feel like I've seen, you know, traveling out of body. I've had those experiences now through meditation and uh, it opens my mind to the possibility that on the other side, I think it's infinite. There's whatever you want to imagine. It probably happens instantly. So let me tell you another story. I mean, of course, uh, um, uh, it's a patient story as well. And this was uh, interesting. Again, an elderly person had a big surgery. Everything went well. But after surgery, he just wouldn't wake up. And uh, he went into coma. All the neurologic workup, all the medical workup, everything, nothing showed anything wrong with his either brain or, or, or the body. So basically he was lying there all this time and his wife uh, used to come around 7, 7.30, hold his hand and talk to him as if he was listening and communicating. And she kept doing this every day without any fail. One day she felt, about 10 days after the surgery, he felt she felt that he moved his fingers. So she first ignored it, but then he kind of squeezed her hand and then she paid more attention. And then she started, her tears started going down her you know, cheeks, and she waved at the nurse who came running down. And a few hours later, he was back up and uh, normal, fine. So then he was discharged home, and then he came to my office, and I asked him, you know, do you remember anything while you were in coma? And he said, yes, I was on top of the hospital building, and I could see my body lying on the bed. And I could see my wife sitting beside me. And uh, that was so interesting to hear. I mean, that is out of body experience uh, in, in real, real life. And uh, that's what you were talking about a few minutes ago, but in a different form, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. The the out of body experiences are are so common, and what's really interesting um, with the the people that I work with, you know, I'm I'm mostly wildland firefighters, and I've worked with some EMT structure firefighters, and something that that population really won't talk to most people about, and so I don't know why, but they tend to talk to me about a lot is that they tend to see people outside of their bodies a lot on the car accidents and the fire calls. Um, mostly the EMT people during the resuscitations, they'll see people leaving their bodies and it's, you know, and, and you as well being in the medical field, it's, it's so interesting because there's a, there's hundreds of books about this as well, you know, medical doctors and other people in the medical field talking about this, that the out of body experience, you know, it's so reported around the world it's 
you know, it really makes you think, well, what's really going on is, is out of body real, you know, and I'm a firm believer it is, um, but maybe not everybody. So I do want to mention that the book journey from life to life does get into it in a different way. Excuse me. And um, it does talk about um, uh, different different bodies. So we feel that we have a physical body and most of us know we have a physical body. We eat and the body responds to that. Some people call it food body. There is, there are seven other bodies that are around our physical body. Journey from life to life addresses three of them, the physical body, and then there is an ethereal body, which is vapor body. And that is when, like, when you feel happy, you feel bigger, you feel depressed and down, you feel smaller. So that is the property of a the ethereal body and then there is the astral body and that astral body is the one um, that's like a, like electronic body and uh, when that comes out of the physical body that's when you feel the out of body experience and sometimes in dreams um, I don't know Everybody dreams different, but sometimes you're flying in the dream and you fly every night. I mean, that's the um, property of the astral body that moves around, gets out and moves around and comes back in your body. And sometimes if you wake up while your astral body is outside, that sounds like you can't move your body because the astral body is not there. So then it comes back. So that's sometimes becomes a nightmare. With meditation, you can get to a point where you can have that astral body come out of your body by, I mean, knowingly you can do that. And uh, I can't say that I can do it at will right now, but with some effort I have been able to do that. And then it becomes a controlled methodology or controlled thing. And uh, when an accident happens or when near death situations happen, sometimes the astral body can get out and may take time to come back. But that's uh, one of the explanations of uh, out of body experience. Yeah, I love that. And, and the, the multiple bodies, you know, and I, I'm a firm believer that we have, you know, maybe we have different labels, but I think we're talking about the same thing of having a physical body and, you know, a mental body an emotional body and a spiritual body. And, um, you know, there's a, there's tons of other ancient ways to describe that. And, and, uh, you know, I think there's a big thing, especially with the HeartMath Institute and their work with the heart field and the electromagnetic field, electromagnetic field around our bodies and things like that. It's so interesting how there's so much more going on than just our physical body, right? Precisely. So the description, the seven bodies, is not my description. It has been described in the Eastern literature, in Buddhist literature. And mental body is the fourth body. So after the astral body, in in that description. But then there is another description, not seven different bodies, but five layers of the body. And uh, that description um, typically came from a guy called Patanjali. He has written the book on, you know, the treatise on yoga. Yoga. He is the one who was the father of all the yoga in in the whole world. So he mentions the food body is the first body and the second body is the energy body, which is a prana, prana, prana yoga, sorry, pranamaya kosh, he calls it. 
So prana is the life energy. And uh, that's what I talk about when we talk about uh, conserving energy or creating energy or sharing energy. Because that is, I think, uh, much more practical for all of us to have. We want to have a higher energy because the higher the energy, the more peaceful you are. It's not like, you know, high energy means ADHD or something. This high energy, you know, kind of brings you to a point where you're peaceful. And if you live on a lower energy, you are more irritable, you're more kind of, you know, you get ticked off easily and that kind of thing. So I think uh, working with energy, the one that Chinese call qi or Japanese call ki, um, I think there is something to that and there is something we can do about it to live on a higher energy level. Yeah, I, I really do agree with that. And, and personally, like through my own healing journey, I started working with the acupuncturist and it completely changed my life. And, um, you know, I, I did a lot of Tai Chi in high school. And, um, you know, after my near-death experience, I was suddenly open to all this energy work and meditation. And um, I just, I think there's so much energy. I've felt it throughout my life. And, um, you know, especially during the acupuncture, I would notice like there's things moving around, like there's feelings, sensations moving around my body. And, you know, the acupuncturist be working with the gallbladder or the liver energy and whatever it is. And it's, you can actually feel the, the organs changing or the, 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 um, nerve sensations changing throughout my body. It's just so interesting. And, um, I've, personally feel healed from acupuncture and i think there's there's reiki there's huna there's all the ancient energy healing systems that are you know speaking about energy and how it just moving it around helps people heal faster yeah, precisely i think you touched the point uh, talking about acupuncture i know of a friend in san francisco at uh, the ucsf um, and he was, he's a urologist and uh, there is a bladder point in acupuncture near the, you know, some lower part of the leg. So he, he used that point uh, to do bladder treatments and then he developed an inst uh, kind of a stimulator device that could be um, that could stimulate that point from outside. And uh, that device is still being used for um, overactive bladder and uh, successfully in many people. So Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it is. It, yeah, it's used by medical doctors, I mean, not just the acupuncture people. But it's the same point um, that is described in acupuncture with the needle. So I'm curious on um, how do you work with your patients? Is it more of a holistic kind of approach? Because I, I feel like you're a lot more open than maybe other doctors would be, like open to energy, open to other realms, to spirituality, to meditation. Like how do you interact with your patients in that way? Do you guys ever talk about holistic wellness or, you know, what are you eating? What are you doing with sleep? Those kinds of things. Uh, usually not because I'm a specialist in urology, uh, but they do feel my energy, they do feel my empathy and compassion. And I leave it at that because uh, somebody has a bladder cancer and uh, I think uh, he needs the treatment. Uh, he needs a surgery or resection of that and, and the chemotherapy and whatever goes with it. But they do feel well connected with me, and uh, you know that that part goes like that. But uh, I've not been using holistic medicine in my medical practice. And I'll tell you one thing: that uh, I do want to see meditation and energy principles come in the mainstream, 
But at the same time, I want to stay in the mainstream that I am in, that I'm working with and keep this as a complement rather than mix them two. Uh, if that makes sense uh, in, to you or Absolutely. Yes. You know, a lot of the work I do is I'm, I'm a compliment to somebody's therapist, you know, especially in a, you know, I can help with anxiety, depression, those things, um, a lot. Uh, but the PTSD is kind of outside my scope because I'm not a medical doctor or a master's in psychology or doctor in psychology. And so some of my clients that have severe PTSD, you know, I'm a compliment, I'm an alternative therapy that's in complement with the therapist. And, and so that is, uh, yeah, I think it's so important to, you know, science is real, obviously, like science has so much merit, but there's, there's the spirituality part of healing and the, um, you know, the complementary art of healing people with acupuncture and energy work. And I, I personally agree too, that that stuff should, should be incorporated into mainstream medicine as a compliment, not overriding it. Cause it's so important to have both the science and the, the more metaphysical type healing things that are going on. Exactly. I don't want to sell, tell my patient that go and meditate and your cancer will go away because I think I will be lying there. You know? Right. Right. And so earlier you mentioned like conserving energy, creating energy, sharing energy, like tell us more about that. So conserving energy is uh, important because more than often, more, more times than often, we like to waste energy. It's just, we are good at wasting energy. And uh, if you don't have to speak, don't speak. So you are, you know, if you don't speak too much, then you conserve energy because that's one of the ways we spend energy. So the typical example is, suppose you are going to meditate. What do you do? What are the um, preparations to that? So you close your eyes. So most of our energy goes out through the eyes. So you are conserving energy by closing your eyes. You close your mouth, so you are conserving energy by not speaking or not thinking about words. Then you sit straight, and when you sit straight with the back straight and neck straight, the gravity effect is the least on your body. And uh, that's because gravity pulls you down, grace pulls you up. So for grace to go up, the gravity should be as little as possible. Then you will see that people have one hand over the other. And even in your Tai Chi practice, you might find that, you know, there is a place times when you put one hand over the other so that the energy circulates inside your body. And then cross leg position if you can, because that's also conserving the energy inside your body. And then many people will sit on a non-conducting surface, like a, it could be animal skin or some sort of a non-conducting surface that you are not dissipating energy lower down. So these are ways to conserve energy. And in general life, I mean, if you are angry, you're spending more energy. So it, I'm not saying that don't be angry because sometimes anger may have a role in life. But if you are angry in a controlled fashion, that's different than just uh, wasting energy by being angry or frustrated or expressions that, uh, emotional expressions that uh, don't get take you anywhere or don't get you anywhere. So that's the conserving part. Oh yeah. I love that. And, uh, so important, you know, uh, I've been doing so many podcasts lately and clients and everything. I've just been speaking so much and I've noticed like I got to cut down on my speaking 
every day because I've noticed like energy shifts. Like, yeah, that's so true. The speaking is, uh, it does, it does take energy to speak all day. And, uh, and so conserving energy and how do we create energy? Essential oils will change your life. Send an email to mountainmindtrix at gmail.com to get your essential oils kit. Imagine if you could detox from the fire season with a drop of lemon in your water. What if you could relax those sore muscles from your huge workouts with a simple oil blend? Drop a line to mountainmindtrix at gmail.com let's talk natural wellness. Essential oils can uplift your mood, affect you at the cellular level, and boost your immune system. So drop a line to mountainmindtrix at gmail.com and let's talk natural wellness. So creating energy, there are two or three, you know, different ways you can create energy or, or at least if you are ready to accept, um, there is a lot of uh, things in nature that can give you energy. And one meditation has been out there for a long time. It's called Tratak. You know, it's like on a morning sun or an evening sun when it is mild just coming up and you look at it and just keep looking for half an hour you are getting energy from sun but you can also do it on a photograph or or you can sit in the mirror and look at yourself and just imagine that the energy is coming from the other side through your eyes into your body so this is a simple meditation but it really can bring you a lot of energy. The other, I'm just giving some examples. I mean, of course, it can be practiced. One of the other energy uh, meditation uh, is when you see um, in Islamic world, they put their hand up in the sky and in the face up. And that basically is getting the energy from the surrounding. I, and I'm not saying that's what they do, but that if you put your hands up and just imagine that energy is coming to, through those hands and filling your body, um, and you'll be surprised how much energy starts coming. Uh, just imagine in the beginning, but then it starts happening. And as you said, you have done Tai Chi or Qigong or any of those things, they are all energy-based uh, uh, exercises there. And in the beginning, you feel like between two hands, energy is passing from one hand to the other. But once you keep doing it for a minute or two, you can feel the energy moving, like you said before, that you did. So those are ways and means of doing it, but all meditations do that. And how you interact with people, you meet a person, sometimes you feel like they have drained all your energy. Similarly, if you meet, meet an inspiring person, then you feel like, you know, energized. So these are ways to create energy um, that we can share in our conversation here. Yeah, it's so wonderful. And one of my favorite ways to gain energy is is really the ancient Vedic uh, teachings is where I got it from is is like imagining golden light coming into my body. And I do that every single day. And it's so powerful. Like, just speaking about that, I can have an energy shift. And it's, uh, it's, it's huge. It really did change my life. And um, it's so amazing how that energy, that golden light, and it just fills you up, right? I mean, I yeah. I didn't yeah. mention that because I didn't know, but yeah, didn't know that, you know, people will relate to that, but no, it's beautiful. I mean, it's really fills you up and you, <clears throat> yeah, true. Yeah, love it, love it. And what about sharing energy? Like, what is that like? Sharing or channeling? I mean, these are two important things. I mean, both are kind of same. Uh, have you read or have you heard of Ram and Ravan? You know, like Ram was the, the good guy, Ravan was the bad guy. Rama. Yeah, right, in generally. But Ravan got all his powers by doing the things that you and I are talking about. Getting energy, right? 
So he did all that. He imagined the um, the golden light or chanting mantra or whatever you know you have to do to gain or gain the power. So he gained the power by doing the same things as a good person will gain do to gain power. But then he became a bad guy. So he was channeling his energy in a different way. The same energy, so he became the bad guy and then someone has to come and um, get rid of him uh, who has to be equally strong. So as an example, I'm saying all these things, you can gain a lot of uh, energy and power the more you get, go to get deeper, the more um, miraculous things start happening to you. And word of caution when you go in meditation or energy work, try not to think of bad things. Try not to um, imagine that somebody, some wall is falling down or tree is falling down because sometimes those wishes can materialize. So the sharing or channeling of your energy becomes more important, especially if you start creating and conserving energy for yourself because you are now in a different uh, domain where things can happen. So it's important to realize that, yes, I have to be more responsible. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think for for me, one of the daily practices I do is just a protection meditation of, you know, knowing where my energy ends and where other people's energy starts, especially being in the mental health field. It's so important for me to do that every single day um, because, you know, like you said, sometimes people we interact with just suck our energy. And, and to me, there's, there's some of that. If we're not protected, if we're not aware of where our energy starts and stops, it can be confusing. We can lose our energy. We can drain our energy that way. Thomas, it's no different than getting a bigger platform. I mean, I, I, in my book, I talk about five pillars of success. But if you become a president, you have to become more responsible. Otherwise, you can start a war that probably was not needed. So one, with, with a higher platform or with higher energy comes more responsibility. That's what I wanted to kind of, my point is I'm not getting into politics here. Yeah, that's I, I love that idea of the higher the platform, the more responsible we have to be. I really... I really like that lesson. And, and something you mentioned earlier, um, you know, before we were talking was um, in the show notes you sent me was, you know, something about the United States could be one of the most spiritual destinations or the United States is, is such a spiritual place. And I want to hear more about that. Well, one of my um, takes on this is like, uh, for example, Let's talk about, say, intermittent silence. As we started in the beginning, we talked about it. You know. um, so our brain is always busy, especially in these times uh, when we have the digital, digital kind of uh, iPhone or iPad or laptop or computer. We are always uh, constantly busy checking that. In this busy life, if you can spend 10 minutes uh, of silence, your brain will be thankful to you. And uh, where do you practice that 10 minutes of silence and how do you practice it? Right, yeah, it's so important, the set and setting. Um, you know, the, you know personally, I, I do it on a meditation bench because I, I, it's really hard for me to be cross-legged anymore, but it's like, I love my meditation bench and I have a shrine with my Buddhas and incense and all those things that just, you know, I'm not worshiping anything. They just have good energy and I love it. So it's just the set and setting of where are we meditating? Where are we collecting energy in life and where are we disposing of energy? It's, it's such an important topic. So when I do, so if I'm going on a hike, 
and there are thousands of hiking places, at least in Maine or New Hampshire, where, where I live. So we go on a hike and I get on top of a, a hill or a mountain. There is a rock there or there is a bench there. So I lie down, lie down there and uh, I, on my app, I have the relax app with two X. There is a 10 minute uh, timer there where it tells me, you know, beginning and end with music. And I just close my eyes. So there are four steps to intermittent silence. First is close your eyes. So you, your brain doesn't get any more stimulation from outside through the eyes. Then you close your mouth, which is you live without words for those 10 minutes. And then there is silent listening, which is any sound, whether it is rustling of leaves or blowing of the wind. You just close your eyes and uh, there you are, all those sounds, you can just let it pass through. Don't try to judge it. Don't try to take meaning out of it. Don't try to process it. And then silent watching of your thoughts. So just uh, let your thoughts go through the mind, just transit. And um, these four steps kind of uh, are needed for any meditation. If you combine breathing with that, it becomes breathing meditation or vipassana. If you combine some your God with it, it becomes prayer. But basically these four things you always need. So I will go on a hike, I will lie down there and do 10 minutes of intermittent silence. And just imagine Appalachian Trail. If you walk that trail, there are huts there, intermittent stops. People stop there, have some food, have some beer. Why can't they have 10 minutes of uh, intermittent silence or meditation? So when I say that the infrastructure is there, all this is already there. All we have to do is start using those places for spending some time with ourselves and uh, make some spiritual growth while we transit those places. I meet a lot of Mainers, you know, they call people who live in Maine and they will go hunting or they will go ice fishing alone and what is that? They are kind of meditating. They don't know that they are, or they don't think of that way, but they do feel good with a little bit of nudge and little bit of uh, knowledge that can be transformed into a wonderful meditative experience. So that's why I say that the infrastructure is already here. All we have to do is start thinking about it or start utilizing those infrastructures. Wow, I love that. And just your voice is putting me into a meditation as you're talking here. It's so great. And yeah, I agree. You know, I'm a hunter. I like to go fishing and go hiking. And, you know, I live in Montana. And so it's like everything is outdoors. And it's so true. You know, that's my favorite thing to do is go hike a mountain or a hill or be on a trail and just take a moment, moment, just take 10 minutes to close my eyes and listen to the birds and listen to the trees and the wind and, and the leaves and all that stuff. It just, you know, it's, uh, it's life changing. It totally can be. And I agree with you. I think there's, I've never thought about it like that, but like all these little stops that we have in life, you know, we could be taking 10 minutes of meditation, you know, every other hour or every couple hours to really, or even morning and night, you know, having those moments of silence is so important. You know, I, I do it every day and it's it's changed my life. No, 10 minutes a day. I mean, you don't have to do it every hour. What happens is that if you do 10 minutes a day, somehow it starts penetrating your 24 hours, you know. Um, talking about your uh, Montana, when we were in that park, Yellowstone Park. Mm -hmm. yes. And... Uh, we flew in uh, your city in uh, Montana 
Um, and then one of the places I still remember, it was kind of evening. It was kind of not that cold, you know, in between. And there was this stream where is this hot water comes and joins cold water in that river. And me and my wife, we were there. We stayed there for hours. I mean, and part of that probably was an intermittent silence, but it was so beautiful. I mean, just to be there, just, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The Boiling River is probably my favorite place in Montana. It's incredible. Yeah. So, oh, you know, the, you know, the place I'm talking about. Oh, yes. I've been there many times. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and is there anything else that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? No, a lot of that is available on um, relax.org, R-E-L-A-X-X.org. And uh, I mean, my whole dream is to share my experience with others. You know, that's uh, that's uh, one of the things. Perfect. And where can people find the book? It's on Amazon. Um, is the easy, you know, it's the easiest way to get it. Okay, perfect, perfect. And uh, how can people get a hold of you, hold of you, or is there an email they can contact you through? They can contact through the relax.org. I mean, there is a contact form there that may be the easiest form. Okay. And uh, as I mentioned, there is a link to app there, which has many many meditations. I mean. Uh, that's another thing, meditation in mainstream. I mean, at the moment, meditation stays with gurus or some elite, you know, ashram, um, and they will give you one meditation. This play, this uh, relax.org has many, many meditations, which are deep meditations. They're really something uh, that people should have a meditation package rather than stick to one meditation which may stop working after some time because you get used to it so a variety is always helpful and sometimes it's good to do one meditation in morning and another one at night so um, i think uh, that will be it for now yeah thank you so much for coming on the podcast i feel blessed to have this interaction with you and this conversation and um yeah just a blessing to have you in our presence krishna and and thank you so much for for the interview and um yeah thank you for helping our audience find their sacred ancestry and that's what this podcast is all about is getting back to that highest purpose or highest self and and you've helped us achieve that today and uh Thank you so much for listening and you can find me at mountainmindtricks.com and uh, you've already found the podcast. So that's amazing. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.